It's that time again. It's ASGCA Insights, the official podcast of the American Society of Golf Course Architects. And now, from our studios in beautiful Brookfield, Wisconsin, it's your host, Mark Whitney. Welcome to ASGCA Insights. My guest today is Gary Williams of Golf Channel. Gary's is a face and voice that many golf fans wake up to each morning as he serves as co-host of Morning Drive. He's also seen as a host on the Golf Channel Academy Instruction Show. Gary was previously part of the Sirius XM satellite radio family and has worked with ESPN and the Carolina Panthers television network. Gary, welcome to the podcast. It is great to be with you. Uh, Things have changed an awful lot since we were together uh, in the town that I call home, which is uh, the greater Orlando area. Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, your your visit with uh, the ASGCA members down in Orlando in, in just a moment. Uh, Gary, on this podcast, we've spoken with superintendents and golf course architects and administrators and print journalists and others. They are universal in saying nothing could prepare them for what they've experienced professionally here in recent months. I expect the same is true for a golf broadcaster who went 10 weeks with no golf to cover. Yeah, it's... um. You know, it's interesting. I think adversity is is something that that can bring out a lot of creative thinking and and a lot of unorthodox solutions to what are really unorthodox problems. And you know, for us, you know, just to give people a, a little bit of perspective on on how abruptly you know our industry uh, changed, the television uh, golf industry. I was doing. Uh, studio work all week. We had a large team, obviously, at the Players in Ponte Vedra. I was hosting uh, a, a lot of the day parts and and also evenings uh, leading into that first round. And, and Thursday was such a strange day because so much was happening so quickly uh, in our society and around the world. And I went. I came home at the conclusion of play on Thursday, March 12th. Uh, was getting ready to get in bed. It was about quarter to 10. And I got a call from our executive producer, Molly Solomon, who said, Gary, we need you to get back in the studio. Uh, Jay Monahan just uh, canceled the event. So I had to get my car, race back down, uh, get thrown on the air at about 10.40 p.m. And to announce, for those folks who didn't already know via social media or some other digital uh, platform that, that the players have been canceled. And I bridged until... 11 p.m. when the guys who were in Ponte Vedra, Rich Lerner, Jaime Diaz, Justin Leonard, uh, and Brandel Chambly got back in place uh, from our set there to, to, to talk about it. And they were on the air for an hour. I was back in the studio in the next day. And Mark, I left at noontime on Friday, March 13th. I've not been back in our building since. Uh, they, they put a live view camera in my house on March 17th. And we have been doing um, what was for quite some time digital hits that was uh, put on all of our social platforms and on golfchannel.com. And about a month ago, we were able to produce our first linear programming, meaning television. And uh, it's not live. We produce it. And then either Morning Drive or Golf Central uh, is is put on the air in 30-minute forms uh, about an hour after we finish our production each day. And uh, I, I will tell you this. I've been inspired by all of our operations and production people because to give people a sense of how they're doing this, nobody is in our building. 
everybody is in their homes creating what is a virtual control room and collectively almost like landing a plane at night on instrument, you know, putting everything together piecemealed, including us on a satellite link. I'm in my home office, um, you know, on camera and they are figuring out a way to produce television each day. So that's our world. And that's the way it's been for, um, you know, more than two months now. It sounds almost like for, for those who, uh, with any interest in broadcast history, when you hear about the people who first started out in radio, going back to the 1930s and sort of inventing things as it was happening, inventing things on the fly and sort of saying, maybe this works, let's see, let's try this. Uh, you're, you're almost inventing a new medium here. I, I, I think that that's, you know, that's a very good analogy because that's what they're doing. What, what we did when we put our first segment up on television, it, it, it is something that had never been done uh, before in what is now the 25-year history of Golf Channel to, to create a virtual environment with basically 12 people on the production side from editing uh, to graphics to audio mixing to direction production. And then, you know, in, in my case, it was me. And that included a, a two-way interview with Ty Bota, which was announcing uh, the postponement of the Olympic Games, which obviously includes the men's and women's golf competitions. That was the first thing that we had done. And yes, something that had never been done before, uh, in, at least in our 25-year history, and for others who are doing it right now, probably for them as well. So if we're fortunate to have all sports, including golf, ramp up here in the coming weeks and months, it's going to make for an awfully full schedule over the final five months or so of 2020. Uh, on the golf front, besides the PGA, LPGA uh, weekly events, you're going to have the major tournaments that have been rescheduled along the way. Also, the Ryder Cup still scheduled for late September. So as Golf Channel started to look at how you go from a glass that's nearly empty to one that may well be overflowing for several months? Yeah, actually we have, we have, um, we, we have all hands meetings, uh, not on an everyday basis, but several days a week. And when, when the PGA tour and, you know, we have some, uh, heads up on preliminary, uh, scheduling, but now that everything has been announced and is in place, once it was officially in place, um, the flow charts of personnel assignments, uh, production assignments are in place. We will be doing um, basically reporting on, doing live golf and studio support 26 of the last 27 weeks of the year when we return the week of June 8th. And that includes, as you mentioned, the three majors in the men's game, all the majors uh, in the women's game all the way through the, the U.S. Women's Open in, in Houston in the month of December. Uh, so we will, be, we will have this torch lit until one week before Christmas, uh, straight on through. My guest is Gary Williams of Golf Channel. Gary, as you mentioned, you were kind enough to join the American Society of Golf Course Architects earlier this year at the first ASGCA winter meeting, which was held in Orlando. Uh, I know you have great respect for the work of golf course architects is, is that a natural byproduct that comes from your love of the game? Uh, I, I tell you, you know, Mark, I, 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 I very, very uh, modestly ex expressed. Uh, I could have sat there all day uh, talking about my admiration, love 
uh, and appreciation for the vision uh, and the stick to of of not only designers and architects of modern day, but but going back to to, to the origins of, of golf course design in this country, and many of it uh, inspired by a lot of the work in, in the British Isles. I was very lucky as a kid. Uh, my family moved to northern New Jersey, and my parents joined Ridgewood Country Club, which is, uh, you know, a 27-hole A.W. Tillinghast-designed uh, uh, golf course facility. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't really know it any other way. The first golf ball that I struck was at the age of six in the mountains of North Carolina. I hadn't really been exposed uh, to, to golf in terms of the, the participatory uh, sense of things until we had moved to northern New Jersey. And, you know, when I was growing up and I was playing places like Ridgewood on an everyday basis as a junior golfer, uh, to playing Pine Valley for the first time as a junior in high school uh, in the spring of 1984, uh, going out to Long Island and having a chance to play national in Shinnecock and Maidstone. Um, I, I was I was smitten immediately with just, you know, the sheer beauty of all these golf courses. Talk a little bit then about the, the your home course today in the Orlando area, a facility that uh, has included the work of ASGCA member Mike Dasher. Well, I, I, I am a, uh, I'm somebody who, who plays uh, about four nights a week when, when times are normal at the, at the Winter Park 9, which is about a mile and a half from my house. And, um, it, you know, it, it is the essence of, of golf. Nine holes, bag on my shoulder, um, you know, modest in length, you know, about 2,500 yards. It is as charming and as appealing and as spiritual as 2,500 yards can be. Um, so I'm out there most nights chasing the sun. I like playing golf late in the afternoon. I like long shadows and soft light. And I, I think golf courses, uh, yes, they look spectacular at first light. I think, I, I think, you know, dimming light shows contour beautifully. Um, and I love being on a golf course late in the day. So the winter park nine is what I call home. Um, and occasionally I, and I'll venture out and I've, I played Mountain Lake for the first time early this spring with Rich Lerner, a colleague of mine, and was blown away by how spectacularly special that place is. Um, but yeah, a little modest municipal golf course is what I call home. 75% of courses in the country are public facilities. Uh, there, there's a lot to be said for those, uh, for those muni courses, isn't there? There are. And, and I think now, uh, Mark, I think now more than ever, I think that golf, and this is not Pollyanna as somebody who, who, you know, makes his living in this industry. I think golf has a real opportunity, uh, when, when people start to get out and it's not just people who already play, who may feel an extra, you know, amount of zeal about getting out and playing even more golf I'm talking about people who are, are, you know, riding the fence on, well, you know, I don't know. It, it takes so much time. And, um, I, I think that, that public golf, uh, in particular, as a golden opportunity uh, to capture the hearts and minds of people who, who may have golf, uh, maybe in the recesses of their mind, uh, or maybe at the forefront of, of maybe trying it for the first time, uh, to, to find green space to be welcoming and safe and also redeemable and what it can provide you in terms of the fellowship. Uh, and and I, I think that we are, we are set up to show 
what you and I have always known that the golf is special um, and that, that that green space is not wasted space. It's invaluable space. You know, it seems like there's there's almost a, a recurring theme that we've seen uh, as courses have opened or reopened here this spring is that when people have gone out to play, they're likely heading out with other family members or multi-generation or couples playing together. Uh, so it's possible there could be a, a hidden benefit of the times that we're living through. No, I think that that's true. I, I think that, um, you know, for whatever reason, and, and you and I were talking before we began about um, kind of our impressions of the match last week with Rory and Dustin Johnson and Matthew Wolf and Ricky Fowler. I, I think that the presentation of that and the, and the way the golf is being presented to a lot of people right now may, may, may not be quite as intimidating. And that's a good thing. I think that a level of modesty. Okay. All right. I don't need to drive this cart. Oh, okay. I have to carry my own bag or I just have a little trolley and I'm going to walk. And that means more conversation. And that makes the experience uh, more rewarding. The way that people are being asked to play because of CDC guidelines and, and social distancing and, and, and the not in, and not using certain things. And okay. So not everything is, 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 you know, prepared or presented in the most immaculate form things that are a little bit more granular might serve all of us better. And, and economically what it might mean that, you know what, this golf course is just as good. If it, you know, it's not every the green is not double cut every morning and rolled and same thing with fairways. And, you know, yeah, everybody wants to play out of a perfectly manicured bunker, but we'll get around it. We'll survive. I think that the way that we're having to, to go about things can maybe be a new model, not adopted in whole, but certain principles and procedures may be things that can save us money, make it more practical, and also make it uh, more inviting to people who might feel like golf as, a, as an experience seems like a little bit too much if they've not done it very much. Sounds like the makings of a pretty good topic for Morning Drive. Uh, yeah. No, I, I think <laughs> that, look, we, we're going to have a lot to, when we were given a full allotment of time, I t- as I've told our producers, we're going to be able to empty the bucket from, you know, guys in FedEx Cup points and rolling over the season and who's being left on the corn ferry tour. But 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 the other things, just golf is an industry. There are a lot of things we can examine and say, you know what? Excess. Here are things that we can do that's not going to hurt anything. It may even make it better. Gary, before we we part ways, I uh, I know you recognize that you've got one of those uh, pinch me kind of jobs. Uh, you've obviously worked awfully hard to get where you are, and as you explained here at the start, just the, the the yeoman's work that you and your team have been doing just to simply get on air over the course of the past couple of months. Uh, but you've probably met some people along the way or been at some places that that make you just sort of stop and pinch yourself. Uh, what are the, what are one one or two of the folks you've met along the way that really stand out? Well, you know, I, I, you're right. I do. And I, I am, I'm very proud of all of the friends that I grew up with. And many of them have been very successful in, in ways that, you know, people measure success in a lot of different ways, but the lion's share my friends, and I'm not saying this to be self-serving. I'm, I'm saying it to make your point uh, for you in my, on my behalf. And that is a lot of my friends have always told me, and I, I haven't lost sight of it, that you're the one who's actually doing what you dreamed of doing. And, and it's true. It's true. I, I have, I have had good fortune. Um, and, you know, I think that 
you know, I, I, I like reading and I, I, I read and consume mostly primarily nonfiction, but, you know, one of the things that, that, you know, I've always leaned on is not only the thoughts that my father gave me throughout my life until, you know, he passed in 2011 was that, you know, the only way that, that you can look ahead to what you want to decide to do next is to look back on what you've already done and the things that, that, you know, resonated with you, uh, that, that help you get to where you currently are today to help you make the decision to take you forward into the next day. And, and that goes back to, to what you were saying. Look, I was very lucky. I worked two seasons at, at Seminole golf club and, and two winners at Seminole was a rich life. And, um, you know, even the, the places that I was at prior and the advocacy that I was given from certain people, but you know, I, I running into certain people, it, it, it's not so much about, you know, whether it was celebrity, but I will tell you when, when I was asked to go to the Greenbrier in the fall of 2015, uh, because Arnold Palmer, Jack Nicholas, Gary Player, and Lee Trevino were going to collaborate on the golf course Oak Ridge, uh, up there. And so they were up there for a groundbreaking and golf channel, uh, sent me up there to interview the four of them together. And we, we sat down after the groundbreaking in a small, uh, cottage. And before we got started, Jack Nicholas said to me, he said, Gary, you know, how are you getting home? And I said, well, I'm, I'm obviously I'm, you know, I'm flying back to Orlando. And he said, well, would you like a ride? Um, and I said, well, considering I'm flying, I'm scheduled to fly from, uh, Lewisburg to Roanoke, Roanoke to Atlanta and Atlanta to Orlando, a flight on air bear sounds a little bit more inviting. Well, I did the last interview uh, of the four of them together for television, which we didn't know then, um, which was going to be special if we still had Mr. Palmer with us. It would be the summit for me to sit with the four of them. But there was a, Mark, there was a tenderness to the way that the other three were with, with Arnold that day. There was a, you know, there, there was a frailty to him that, that Twilight seemed very eminent. But I will tell you that the ride home was truly the apex for me because they were giving Mr. Palmer a ride as well to Orlando, but Jack and Barbara were dropping down in Atlanta to get off the plane to spend the weekend with their son, Michael. So we get on Jack's plane and Arnold's plane was, was being serviced. That's why he was getting a ride on, on Jack's plane. So they are facing each other on one side of the plane and I'm sitting on the bench on the other side. So I'm looking at the two of them facing each other, basically like looking at FDR and Churchill facing each other. And, and I'm thinking to myself, this, this is not happening to me. So we dropped down in Atlanta and Jack and Barbara uh, were getting ready to get off the plane, which they did. And, and Jack brought Mr. Palmer in real close, put his hand behind the back of his head and leaned in close to him, whispered something in his ear, kissed his cheek. And he got off the plane and the pilot, was standing uh, just outside of the cockpit and Mr. Palmer turned to him as they closed the door and he said to him, what's the flight time to Orlando? And the pilot said, 43 minutes. And Mr. Palmer immediately turned his head to me and said, my plane would do it in 39. <laughs> That's it. That's it. I, I'm, you, I can cash my chips in. <laughs> That's it. To the very last breath, he was going to compete against the guy in one form or another. And I saw one of the last examples of that in the most spontaneous, 
but truest ways. That's the kind of good fortune that I've been given. Um, and I never lose sight of it. So yeah. Not bad, not bad for a kid from uh, Northern New Jersey, huh? Exactly right. My guest has been Gary Williams from Golf Channel. Gary, thank you so much for your time. You bet. Take care. Be safe. That wraps up another ASGCA Insights. I'm Mark Whitney. You can find past episodes of this podcast and more information about golf course architecture at ASGCA.org. Thank you for listening. And until next time, so long.